weeks ago, probably almost a month ago, um, I went car shopping with Sokia. And he wanted a truck, and so we've been haggling on the internet on the, by emails back and forth, text messages and everything. And finally, he, uh, th uh, there's a place that's willing to work with us. And uh, some of you know I'm a horrible haggler. I mean, in, I'm, I get down brutal. Um, so <laughs> we're just, and then, um, so there's a place in Ontario, I forgot the name, Mark Christopher Ford, I don't know, Chevy or something like that. So we went there, we drove there, it was a rainy day, and we always pick the rainy day, the last day of the month, because that's the best time, because no customers in the store, you're there, and they're willing to give you the deal. So we found, we planned it all out, right? It was sort of drizzling, raining all that day, and then uh, we went to, um, uh, to test drive the car. So we got there trying to get a deal, right? And so, uh, so Kia got into the car, and he was the driver, and I'm the guy who sits in the back, the, the dealer guy, you know, the salesman sits in the front, and so they pull the car out, and I'm sitting in the back, and the reason why I sit in the back is I try to find things wrong with the car. Well, this car is kind of bumpy, you know, and so I'm trying to give them so they drop the prices, you know. Of course it's bumpy. I'm sitting in the middle, in the back, <laughs> but, you know, they don't know that. Um, and so I'm sitting there just enjoying the ride, looking at stuff while the kid's driving, and, you know, they're talking about the car, mileage, and MPG, and all that stuff, right? And so we drove, and then about halfway through the drive test, the dealer guy, um, the salesman says, stop, pull over, pull over. I was like, what the, I've never seen that before. And so, um, so Kia pulled him, he's like, right here? And so the guy says, yeah, right here. And so he pulled the car over to the right side of the road. As soon as we stopped, the guy opened the door and he ran out of the car. And he went all the way, I'm like, what is going on? I didn't even see. And so it went to the, across the street, there was a guy and a girl struggling on that side. And so the dealer guy, he goes, hey, man, quit it. Stay away from her or, you know, stop that. Leave her alone. And he kept saying, yelling at the guy. And there's a big Hurley dude, like bald head tattoos and everything there. He's struggling with this woman across the street. And so the guy thought that he, the guy was um, beating up the girl. He's like, leave her alone, man. Leave her alone. As soon as that big guy saw the, the dealer, the, the salesman running over, yelling at him, he went like this, and he grabbed onto the pole, and he was going to jump over the bridge. Oh, my, I was like, oh, my goodness, that guy's trying to kill himself. So Kira and I still in the car. We're like, what is going on? And so the dealer guy went, and he grabbed him like football, tagged him, and put him in a headlock on the ground. And this guy, big dude, was like, he was like, oh, oh. He was like, like his head is on the ground. The dealer guy was got him on his all. And then I ran out of the car, uh, across the street, and the guy says, call 911. I was like, 911, what, what is that number? I've never called 911. What is the number to 911? I was so nervous. The kid ran out, and the guy, the guy was so big. He was about to pick up the dealer. They're both about to go off the, the bridge. Right? There's a woman there. She was crying hysterically, screaming all over the place. And I'm just shaking, going on, like, what's going on? And Sakia went and he grabbed the guy's leg and pinned him to the ground. So now Sakia is holding the guy's leg. The dealer salesman was holding the guy's head. And I'm trying, trying to find out 911. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I called 911, told them where we were. My mouth was so dry, my hands were just shaking. And um, I was like, okay, what do I do? What do I do now? So the, they said that the, you know, some police officers or CHP is going to come real soon. And I'm there. I'm standing there. There's a woman. And she's about my head. I'm thinking, well, you know, if you're going to jump too, I'm going to have to tackle you. Like, <laughs> like the guy attacked her. I could take you on, but I can't take him on. And so we're there. And then finally, it felt like a long, long time. And I, I kept checking on her. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm so small. The guy is like twice my size. And so Kia was holding him. They're both shaking. They're all sweating, trying to hold this guy down. And he was fighting him. 
And he's like, come on, I'm trying to help you. Just stop fighting. I'm trying to help you. And finally the cops came and the cops showed up. Get this. He was my size. I was like, you are so going to die. <laughs> Didn't pull out a gun or anything. I was like, you are so going to die. You better... <laughs> And so he didn't tell those guys to get off. He's not just, he's like, okay, how can I help you? We're like, really? What are you going to do? Bring out a baton, knock him out with something, right? And so finally, like, three other cops came, and they handcuffed him and, and took him in. We walked away sh shaking. I, needless to say, we got in the car, went back to the dealer, sat in the room. We were, like, just in complete silence. Like, how do you haggle a car after such a crazy experience? I was like, I don't have the will to haggle the car anymore. And I kept telling Suki, I feel bad haggling because this guy seems like he's making an honest living trying to help somebody. I'm going to try to steal his day's pay. So, but we haggle anyways. <laughs> oh, man. So I walked away from that situation. It's been bothering me for the whole month thinking about two questions. Um, three questions. The first one is, what in the world, why would anybody get, how do they even get to that point in their life to jump over a bridge? That's so crazy, right? Second story is, uh, the second question is, who in my life would tackle me down in that way if I were to do something really dumb and try to kill myself? Do I have somebody in my life that will tackle me that way? I may not like it. I don't like to be held down and handcuffed and all that, but I need that kind of people in my life. Do I have somebody like that? Do you guys have somebody like that in your life? Third question is, that was that guy's suicide story? That's what your, what's your suicide story? And I, I got thinking about my suicide stories. Yeah, I may not have tried to jump over a bridge or slice my own wrist or kill myself with whatever, but I have killed myself in many ways. Think about it. Physically, when I eat terrible junk food that I know is going to hurt me, that's suicidal, right? It's just a lot slower. When I just sit around in my desk all day long doing nothing instead of getting up and walking around, that's a suicide, right? We just kill ourselves a lot slower than we think. That's our suicide story. And so that's physically, right? And so what do we think about other areas of life financially? Can you imagine? All the suicide moves we've done, right? The attempts that we have made on our finances, when we really, really think about it, that's just horrible. We need friends who would tell us, don't do that. That's terrible. Why would you want to do that? But we do. Let me tell you a crazy suicide story that I've gone through. And some of you may have heard this. When Carol and I first got married, we were so young, 1996. How old was I? Wow. I can't even remember. Um, but we were so young and so dumb. You know, we got credit cards. I, we got this one credit card, I think, through Citibank that gave us like $35,000 credit. And I don't even have anything close to that. I don't know how they expect me to pay that off, but they gave us this gigantic amount of money. We're like, wow, $35,000, let us go buy a car. At that age, you would never imagine, right? I, I didn't think. So we went and we bought a Burgundy Honda Accord. It was so awesome. I was wheeling and dealing, and we got the car. I think it's like 7500 or something. That's nothing. Like, swipe that car, that car. It's only a couple of hundred dollars payments each month. We can afford No one ever told us 25% uh, interest rate on a $7,500 purchase. 
That was like one of the dumbest things, but no one was there to stop us. No one's going to say, are you kidding me? Why would you buy a car with a credit card? Think about it. That's just horrible. Multiply the percentage. No one told us. And we've done a lot of those financial, bad financial decisions. We look back, and they're suicidal, right? Suicide attempts on our credit, on our finances. It took us a long, long time to get out of debt. And, but we keep going back to it. Other areas of life. Physically, financially, what else? Emotionally, emotional, relational, right? Spiritual. How about spiritual suicide? People commit spiritual suicide all the time. Immoral decisions, unethical work ethics, yeah, things that we do, unethical decisions that we make, um, things that we do that are completely dishonest. It seems like it's just a one-time deal, but you know, it's a suicide. It's, it's slicing our wrists slowly. It's jumping off, a, well, no, jumping off your bridge, you can't do it slowly. <laughs> but it's just a way that we kill ourselves. We don't realize this. When we make an unethical decision, we are really destroying our own soul because we are going to carry the guilt and the shame around and we're going to be bent. Our soul is no longer straight up. up. The Bible calls it upright with God. You're not upright anymore. You're crooked. You're bent down. The Bible says you walk like this because you have so much weight and so much guilt and so much shame by the decisions we make. But we don't think of those as suicide, right? You're thinking, man, you're just pushing that too far. Suicide is like when you kill yourself. What if we kill ourselves slowly? We don't think about that. It's still killing ourselves. <sighs> Financially, relationally, wow, relationally. We kill ourselves when we don't forgive. We all get hurt. That's just normal. I don't think that anybody would ever have a good relationship if we don't hurt each other. That's just normal part of relationships. But if we don't forgive when we hold a grudge, when we're bitter and resentful, that's a suicide on the relationship. And you know another way to, to destroy relationship is triangulation, a.k.a. gossip. When person A tells person B, hey, you know, I got something, something about me, and I've never told anyone, and, and this is what I did, I'm so ashamed of it, don't tell anybody, and then person B goes, C, hey, did you hear about that person, right? And so A tells B, and B goes to C, and then all of a sudden, C goes back to A like, I heard something about it. Like, wait a minute, how did you hear about that, right? It's over. Relationship takes many, many years, probably a lifetime to build, a few seconds to destroy. The most dangerous weapon is gossip. Gossip is when you talk about somebody and they're not in the room with you. Learn to talk about ourselves, right? And so one of the things I taught about, I taught our uh, leaders at our leaders retreat, which we had such a wonderful time. Um, the main thing I wanted to teach was the two words. One is deflection and reflection. When we sit in a branch together, pay attention to how that is. Deflection and reflection. Deflection is when someone asks a question, they deflect it, right? And so, uh, what are the things that you struggle with right now? Well, you know, when I was 15, I struggled with alcohol or I drug, you know, marijuana. No, you're 40. How, how does that even relate, right? That's deflecting back to the past. Or, you know, you ask about um, what type of um, rela what relationship do you have? What type of relationship do you have with your spouse? Well, you know, at work, I stress out a lot and it's like, 
Who's asking you about work? We're talking about the spouse, right? Deflecting to something else. But a reflection is, it's like a mirror. Think about it. You, you know, you look in the mirror and you see yourselves like, oh, wow, this is what, I, what I'm going through. And so one of the ways that we don't realize we kill ourselves in such a small way when we have a, when we have a conversation together is we deflect to something else because it gets uncomfortable. But if we realize it, we learn to reflect and say, wow, you know, that really doesn't make me feel good. I don't really like how that affects me. I don't really like how it turns me into that. I don't really like how I responded to that. It's more of an I uh, statement instead of like I was, right? More like an I am statement. Does that make sense? And I think, but it feels so small, right? Another way is um, understanding and listening. Um, I've been trying to focus on my New Year resolution, and each year I come up, I try to focus on one thing because I have ADD. I just need to focus one idea. On one, my one idea for my life is uh, right now, each year I would pick a word, but this year I picked the word listen. And I mean listen as in like fully listen and understand because I have such a hard time listening. I listen, I, I'm trying to listen without assuming because when you tell me something, I'm like, oh yeah, that's where you're going. I don't need to hear the rest. I'll just... Right? Or um, uh, listen without fixing. And so I have a video to show you. Some of you may have seen this video. It is, I was rolling when I, I was crying when I saw this video. So, but this is so true of me. Um, you've heard me talk about this before. With Carol and I, when we talk together, she'll just want to just tell me stuff. And, you know, I don't take it the way that I should be. So watch this video and you've got to see how it goes. No? Video's not going? Oh, man. Okay, anyways. But, you know, when you, when you talk together, Carol says, I need you to be a table, right? So be a table and support me and so I can lay all my stuff out and I'll solve it myself. And I'm thinking, a table? Okay, that's just too easy, right? Why would you need me? But she needs me to be a table. And so in my mind, as soon as you tell me a problem, I'm going to fix it. Because why else would you tell me a problem, Right? You tell me a problem because you want me to help you fix it. And so I'll fix it for you. And so a lot of times I would offer um, advices. I would tell you how it should be done, how it could be fixed, um, things that you need to do to just get over it and move on and all that. But I, I just can't. My mind is just like, okay, you tell me something, and, and my mind just goes somewhere else. So I'm learning to just listening, to just listen and understand. I think that that's... Um, it seems like a small thing for me, but it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. It may, it may be small to you and you don't struggle with it. For me, it's such a big deal to just say, okay, I, I want to hear you. I want to hear your whole story. I want to hear how it all feels and, you know, and, and it's just fully understand. Um, that's really tough without interrupting. And I, I interrupt. I don't know. It's just a bad habit. So relationally, we hurt each other. Um, it's so hard. Now, why do we do all these things? Right? We know you don't need me to stand up here and tell you this is wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. You don't, we all know that. Why do we do that? Why do we go and do things that we don't want to do, things that we shouldn't be doing? I'll tell you, the Bible is so awesome. God is amazing enough to list, to tell us exactly the problem. See if you can relate to this. The struggle. Romans 7, uh, 15 to 20. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Can you relate to that? One more time. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Sounds like normal, right? We all go through that. There are things, 
I want to exercise. How many of you guys want to exercise? I know a lot of you are buff. You don't need to exercise. I want to exercise, but I don't do it. Trying to just, uh, so hard, right? Um, I want to eat good food, but I don't do it because the bad food tastes so, be- so much better, right? <laughs> People say sin is not fun. Well, they're not doing it right because sin is fun when you do it right. <laughs> Take it from me. <laughs> That's why I want to keep doing it. <laughs> um, Okay, next, moving on. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Wow. Sounds hopeless, doesn't it? Aren't you glad you you came today? No solution to that problem. Because it's, it's all of us. I don't even have to ask you to raise your hands because it's true of all of us. There are a lot of good things we want to do that we just don't do. A lot of bad things we're trying to quit, we just can't quit. What is the problem? I think the problem has to do with our soul, our spirit, and our mind. Not being connected. So hopefully this will make sense. Let me draw a little diagram. The way that that verse breaks it down is um, if we can imagine it in two containers... So if you have the Bible, um, turn to that ver- those verses that I just read in Romans chapter 7 and uh, help me list some things that it's talking about. And this will relate to our past discussion this past month at our, uh, our branches. Um, and so the first thing in that verse, in verse 15. So we got two containers. The, the big difference between those two verses, right? The first one is... I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do, for I have the desire to do what is good. And so with this side, we got good. What's the opposite of good? Bad, right? Or this, in this verse, it says evil. Not just bad, but evil. And so a little bit farther than, than bad. What else? I do not want, um, for the... I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. So we got good and evil. And this past, uh, this past uh, month of branches, we discussed about darkness. And what's the opposite of that? Light, okay. And we talked about God. Oh, here's, here's a quiz. This past uh, month of branch, we talked about God. What's the opposite of God? From Matthew chapter 6. Money. That's a surprise, right? You would think it's God and Satan, but no. In Matthew chapter 6, it says God and money. You cannot, you, you, know, do, you cannot serve two masters, right? You hate one or you love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's really intriguing how Jesus said it that way. Okay, what else? Death on this side. And then this side, we got life. Okay, we got... Uh, oh, wait, I got it backwards. That's not good. <laughs> All right, one more. Death. Darkness, light, God, money, right? Life and death. What am I needing? Oh, my goodness. 
Man, you know, <laughs> light and darkness. Thank you. That does get really confusing. All right. Um, and we got truth and lies. We know, we know the difference, right? It's not a big deal. But here's what Paul says in the book of Romans. He says, in these two, these are the things I want to do, but I just don't do. These are the things I don't want to do. I keep on doing it. And Paul, throughout Romans 6 and 7 and 8, he distinguishes the two containers that way. He calls it, right, the law of death and the law of spirit. He talks about Adam and Eve, right? The two difference like that. I mean, Adam, sorry, Adam and Jesus, right? The other way, sorry. <laughs> Jesus and Adam. Man, this is a lot harder than I thought. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But you see the difference, but the, the, the break is this, that we live in a world where it's full of evil and it worships money, the world that is leads to death, the world that is in darkness, the world that tells us lies. And so we live in this world, and so we think in this way, instead of thinking in this way. And so when we open up the Bible, we think, oh, the Bible is so backwards. No, the Bible is the right way. We just got used to thinking backwards. Does that make sense? We've gotten used to thinking because we're surrounded by things that are backwards. When the Bible tells us the right way, the truth, we think, well, that's so reverse, so opposite, so backwards. For example, let me give you a, a really weird illustration. Hopefully, it'll make sense. Let's say you make a certain amount of money each month. This is your income right here. Each month, we all make a certain amount of money. If you don't make money, may not apply to you yet. You will one day. Um, you make a certain amount of money. This is your income. We all have this, right? And the Bible's way of spending money, of how we allocate money, the Bible is very clear, right? 10% goes to God, and the Bible tells us to save. Very simple, right? And so let's break it down to just, oh, I don't know. Um, I'll do it this way. We learned a long time ago about the ants. Learn from the ants, right? The ants learn to just collect in the summer, save for the winter. A lot of us, a lot of us, we have our winters. Our car will break down. Our house will just have things that need to be fixed physically. We need things that need to be done and all sorts of stuff like that. So save. If you don't have a saving, that's a problem, right? We need to save. Learn to save. And the rest, we get to spend. Ah. This is our living expenses. Very simple. But it goes this way. God first. Save. The rest you spend. But what does the world tell us? The world tells us in a very sly way, how much do I need to live on? That's what we first ask. 
What are all my expenses? What do I need to pay? What are my bills, right? I got the mortgage, got the utilities, got groceries, and I got the gas and, you know, all, all sorts of stuff that I need to pay for. And we start off with spending. And we're thinking, you know, after I figure out all this stuff, clothing money, food money, restaurant money, entertainment money, all that stuff, and then I'll, whatever's left, I'll save. And whatever's left after that, I'll give to God. And I could bet you, every single one of us up here have experience that if we start here, we probably won't have enough for here. And we'll probably not have anything for here. Does that make sense? But the Bible tells us to put God first. And we're thinking, oh, that sounds good. Put God first. What does that mean? In money, God first means God's first. Break it down. I'm teaching my kids, even when they're young, now, three jars, 10, 10, 80. When they get $20 from birthdays or whatever, $2 goes to God, $2 goes to save. They get $16 left to spend over here. Because I'm hoping that one day my kid's going to make $20,000, $2,000 goes to God, $2,000 goes to save, $14,000 or $16,000 is for spending. When they make $200,000, you see what I'm saying? But if we don't think that way, but it's so backwards to think it that way. But the world tells us it's this way because the world is opposite to what God tells us. This is how the world behaves. Now, seems very simple, very minor, but the, that's how the Bible teaches us, that there's the difference between the two. And the good we want to do, we don't do. And the bad that we don't want to do, we keep on doing. So the second part this is going to blow you away. In verse 20, in Romans 7, verses 20, verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, you guys got it with me? If I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. All the teachers are like, what? Does it? All the... But the sin living in me that does it. You know what blew me away about that, about that verse? Sin is a noun. What? It's a noun. We think of sin as something I do. Right? I do evil things. I worship money. I kill myself or other people. Um, I live in darkness. All the things that I do, I lie. But in this verse, Paul says that it is sin living in me that does it, causes me to do it. You know how big that is? Because we always thought, there's, what's wrong with me? Right? We think, man, why do I keep doing I don't want to do that anymore, and I, I, I'm going to make a commitment to never do this again. And the next thing you know, you walk away, oh, I did it again. Right? What is wrong with me? And we think it's, the sin is something that you do. But Paul says, sin is something that lives inside of you. Ooh, so let me break it down this way. Paul breaks it down into two containers. Now I'm going to confuse myself even more because we're going to start with this first. He says that every single one of us live in this container called sin or living in Adam or in sin. We call it like that, right? We live, the person lives in sin. Well, actually, sin lives in the person. 
but we'll just do it this way because it's, it's hard to explain the other way. <laughs> we all live in sin in this container. Right. Look, that's me. That's you. Here's Billy Graham. Mother Teresa. Who else is perfect in this world? Greg Laurie. We're all right here. <laughs> Pauline. <laughs> Maybe Carol will be out here because she's more perfect than I am. But no, you know what? She's in here too. All of you are in here, right? We, this is clear. We, we all live in this thing and in this container. And Paul says that every single one of us live in sin. We're born with it. Even my little baby. He's so small and so cute and adorable. But man, he's a sinner. <laughs> if you don't have kids, you don't know what I'm talking about. People with kids, we know our kids are born with sin. I did not teach them to do stuff like Some of the stuff they do, I don't know where they learned it from. It was not me. They're born with it. It's Adam's fault. They sin like that. <laughs> but they're born into this sin container. And you think, well, that's not fair. Well, the world is not fair. Fairness went out the window when Adam sinned. We live in an unfair world. We live, all live in sin. Now, get this. Now, Paul says there's a solution. That from sin, Jesus Christ came to die so that he could take me out of here and into here. That's why the Bible says we are brand new creatures. We think differently. We behave differently. And we may not realize it, but we do. It's a process. It's a transformation from here. That's why Billy Graham's able to do what he does over here. That's why Pauline's able to do what she does over here. <laughs> and Carol, and you can pick your own name and you can put it on this side. Does that make sense? We struggle with the things we don't want to do, and we keep doing the things we, good things we don't. We want to do, we don't do. And that struggle is because we forget that we are no longer in this container. We don't live in sin. Sin does not live in us anymore. But we live in Christ. And in Christ we're a brand new creation, brand new creature. Romans 7.24 says, What a wretched man I am. He says, Man, you know, I struggle to do good and I can't. And it's because the sin that's living in me that's causing me to do this. In verse 24 he says, What a wretched Man, I am. It's not, and, and you know, if you, you don't feel the capacity of saying that, because no one talks like that anymore. Who says, oh, what a wretched man I am. But really, what he's saying, what a terrible situation I'm in, right? This is not something like, oh, what a wretched man I am. I forgot to put the dishes in the dishwasher, right? <laughs> Why does my wife have to tell me all the time? It's not like that. It's more like, I went to that site again. I shouldn't have. I overspent. I make this much, and I spent this much. I shouldn't have done that. I bought that thing. I'm still driving that thing, right? I'm, I'm still wearing that thing. I, I did this, and I said that. I shouldn't have said that, and, and I can't help myself. So Paul says, what a wretched man I am. And he says, what kind of pills can I take to rescue me from this body? Is that what it says? What kind of counseling sessions can I go to to help me get over this? No. And that's often our biggest problem, is that we think, we're in here, what can I do to fix myself? I'm such a liar. I, t I 
sometimes I lie and I don't even need to lie. Right? What is wrong with me? What can I do to stop lying? Or I keep overspending. What is wrong with me? I know I can't afford that. Why well, I keep buying it? What is wrong with me? What can I do to stop that? Cut up my credit card and, you know, whatever, freeze my bank account, all sorts of stuff. You put yourself in such, and the next thing you know, back in here. I keep doing all these things that I shouldn't have. And Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Not only that I can't do good, there's something in me causing me to do bad. That's even worse. What a wretched man I am. And he says, who will rescue me? It's not what. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in Christ, we are rescued. In Christ, we don't have to live the way we used to. In Christ, we're brand new. And that's the message that we want to tell everybody. In Christ, not in the things that we do, but in Christ. In Romans six twelve. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You know, we have a choice to not be in this container. We have a choice to be in this container instead. And Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Do you get that? Do not offer any part of your body. You see, a lot of times it's not the whole entire body, right? What he is saying is that now you have the power to say, Sin, you're not my master anymore. Sin, you're not my master anymore. No, you cannot borrow my lips to lie. You cannot borrow my lips to tell that white lie. You cannot borrow my lips to stretch the truth. You cannot borrow my lips to say those evil, mean things. Sin, you cannot borrow my eyes to look at those things. You cannot borrow my eyes to look at those sights. You cannot borrow my eyes to linger when I look. You cannot borrow my mind to store things that I shouldn't be storing, to think things that I shouldn't be thinking. Sin, you cannot borrow my hands to do things that I shouldn't be doing when I know. Sin, you are not my master anymore. Sin, you are not my master anymore. You want to say that with me? Ready? Ready? Sin, you are not my master anymore. One more time. Sin, you are not my master anymore. Can you imagine the power this coming week when you are tempted to do something like that? Ah, show up for work 15 minutes late. No one will notice. No one will care. Sin, you cannot borrow my feet to show up late. Ah, I'm going to leave 45 minutes, 15 minutes early. What's the big deal? No one's going to know. Right? Work ethics. Sin. You cannot borrow my feet to leave this place earlier than I should. Sin, you cannot borrow my hands to type that email, to text that message. We don't have to obey its evil desires. Verse 13 again. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been uh, brought from death to life and to offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Have you ever thought about offering to God 
certain parts of your body? Can you imagine if we say, okay, this is the four parts of the body, right? The first week I'm going to offer my lips to bring honor to God. Second week, maybe the second day, right? On Monday, my lips. On Tuesday, my hands. On Wednesday, my eyes. On Thursday, my head, brain. On Friday, my feet. I will go where Jesus wants me to go. I will go where Jesus would go. I will do what, my, what Jesus would do with my hands and with my eyes. And this is how granular the Bible gets. And we often, we often think of the whole self. Oh, I'm going to commit my whole life to serving God. But you know, your whole life includes your hands, includes your feet. A lot of times I serve this church with my brain. I sit in front of my computer, make, prepare the messages, send out the emails, making documents and all sorts of stuff like that. Carol often serves God with her hands. She made this for the past, I don't know how many nights. You'll see it at the table. Little fridge magnet thing. Took a long time. But she offered her hands, her fingers, to God. Doesn't have to be here, right? You can do it anywhere, anytime, because that's how much freedom we have. All right, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master. We said that. Sin, you are not my master anymore. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Skip over to Romans 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 